Hey, y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 100-something. I'm going to call it 110 because our guest, I think it's our first time we've ever had a, a recurring guest, Travis. Is this accurate? I think I think he is our first repeat guest. Chipper Jones, first ballot, Major League Baseball Hall of Famer and friend of the show, buddy of mine, who's a damn good golfer. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. So uh, Chipper was number 10. He wore number 10 his entire career, and so we're calling this episode 110. Before we get to Chipper, and we're getting to him quick because I got a lot to ask him, and I don't want to take up too much time here, I want to let you guys know about heavy metals inside the Caroli Gymnastics Empire. It's a groundbreaking seven-part podcast series that takes listeners on a deep dive into the lives and influence of Bella and Marta Caroli the most successful and controversial coaches USA Gymnastics history. Subscribe now to 30 for 30 and Marty Smith's America on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, it's time for our conversation with Major League Baseball Hall of Famer and current ESPN Major League Baseball analyst, Chipper Jones. All right, y'all. We have a return guest, we think, for the first time ever in Marty Smith's America history in our distinguished 100-plus episodes. That's because he's our boy. Uh, Originally, Travis and I had planned to tape this podcast on Tuesday, so I hit up my buddy Chipper Jones to gauge his availability. He informs me that Tuesday is golf day. (laughs) He then proceeds to text me last evening while I'm sweating over my grill making burgers for my family. This. In case you wondered, bro, I shot 75-67 today. Man, what the hell? Who who does that? Who who texts that? 75-67. What what kind of day is that for you on the links? Is that an average day? No, 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 no. 67, 75 is, is pretty average. Um, but the 67, that was, that's my all time, my all time best right there. It was, uh, actually five birdies, no bogeys. My first like bogey free round ever. And, uh, how about this? So I shoot 75, 67 and lost money. <laughs> oh no. What, who are you playing with? How's that? Uh, I was just playing with a couple of clowns out at the uh, out at Hawks Ridge here in Atlanta, and you know Smolty wasn't there. Some of my normal guys weren't there, but uh, I was playing I was playing with a plus handicapper, and uh, it wasn't a lot of money, but still, you know, you go out and shoot seventy five. I'm a two point seven index at my club, so seventy five is is about right. But then to go out and shoot sixty seven and still lose. Man, that's that's a that's hard on the ego. That's very hard on the ego and the wallet. I mean, you, you shoot 67, <laughs> you expect to be padding the wallet, not lightening it. What did 67 feel like? Did you feel like Tiger Woods for a minute? Yeah, it was it was actually a lot more boring than I than I thought it would be. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just I know a couple of uh of professional golfers and they say that that when you're playing really well, the game is boring, you know, when you're having to grind and whatnot, that's when, you know, that's when it's fun. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I really didn't make a, a ton of long putts. I was hitting it close, you know, hitting fairways and, 
wedging it up there, you know, pretty close and, you know, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of stressful pars when the time came. You mentioned Smoltz a second ago. Uh, he's kind of renowned for being an avid player and a, and a really good one. Who's the best baseball golfer you ever saw? Uh, I would have to say on the whole, when he gets it going, Smoltz probably it. Um, Mark Mulder uh, is, is a very, very good golfer. You see him uh, at those Diamond Resorts, uh, you know, celebrity, uh, you know, the, the the ones out in Tahoe that they just got done with. Um, usually Smoltzy and Mulder, uh, Marty Fish, the tennis player, just won the one out in Tahoe. Um, but those guys are, are usually pretty good. I tell you who's really good and really long. Like, like I thought I was long, but uh, Adam Wainwright is, is is a very good golfer, and uh, he's he's probably a good 10 or 15 yards longer than me on average. Speaking of long, I played with Griffey once, kind of. Uh, he and I both played in Coach Saban's Alabama golf tournament a couple of summers ago. Yeah. That dude – he teed off, and I think it landed on the moon. I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at, man. It was violent. He hit that you don't ball hit, so hard. You, you don't hit 600-plus homers if you don't have a little whip, you know? Uh, he, he can hit a baseball a long way, too, so it doesn't surprise me he can hit a golf ball a country mile. Was he the most naturally gifted guy you saw? You played against some good ones. Him, Bonds? I mean, um. Barry, Barry Bonds is the best baseball player that I've ever seen on a, a uniform. And to be honest with you, Griffey would probably be second or third. I think uh, in his prime, Andrew Jones, just at how um, easy the game came to those guys. Um, it, 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 it almost looked like they weren't trying sometimes because the game came so easy to them and and, you know they were trying um obviously you know they they make um tough plays diving plays look routine and it's almost a shock when they don't make it uh when they don't make the play uh as it is when they do but uh those three really kind of stand out to me as far as being gifted and having just you know galactic all-star type of talent Excellent use of the word galactic. You are ready for television, son. You are you are in, in mid-season form. The TV part of it is, you know, it's it's something new for me. Um, obviously, got to get rid of the uhs and the hmms and you know all this kind of stuff and and really make it flow. But uh, well, I did a game with uh, Rich Sutcliffe and um, Boog Shiambi the other day with this remote setup. You know, we're broadcasting games from our homes now, you know, and, you know, I've done two or three games in the booth, man, being in the booth is so much easier than these remote setups because, you know, with three guys doing a broadcast, man, a lot of stepping on each other. And you, you know, you just got to get your, get your signs right. And it's, it's just a, it's, it's really tough. So the, the season is opening up this week, lo and behold, my first game, regular season game broadcasting with ESPN, Braves, Mets in New York. So it ought to be fun.
And that was one of my questions. Naturally, the first game you're going to call for ESPN in the regular season as a television analyst professionally is Braves-Mets. You tormented them <laughs> as a player. What, what will the broadcast approach be to facing the Mets, as it were? The only thing I'm thinking all day is try and not show my true colors. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hard for me not to – not to be a brave through and through, but as a broadcaster, you've got to, you've got to walk that, that line, you know, that, that, that narrow line down the middle between both teams and, and not show any favoritism. I think it's going to be easy because uh, Jacob DeGrom, the, the guy who's pitching for the uh, Mets on opening day, he played for my godfather at Stetson university and we've been good friends for a long time. So, you know, I want to see him do, you know, well as well. But obviously, uh, you know, Freddie Freeman, I took under my wing when he first got called up. And now he's the cornerstone of the franchise and um, still got a lot of a lot of good people and good friends on the coaching staff, you know, there in Atlanta. So it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough. But I tell you what, I'm working with two pros, Luke Shiambi. There's Luke Shiambi is a rock star at ESPN, and uh, he's going to tee it up, and me and Sut are going to try to knock it out of the park. And Sut's a legend, man. Uh, yeah. he, it's I've heard so many amazing stories, not only as a player about him, but also as just a person and a mentor from my buddy Jake Peavy. And, right, right. And how important Sut was to in Jake's development uh, as a man and as a player. So – I can't wait to watch you guys operate. I want to go back to the difficulty you noted of broadcasting remotely. One thing that that those of you who are not in television may not understand is there's a lot of unspoken clairvoyance that comes in a broadcast booth. It might be a finger point. It might be a nod. It might be the, the, like Boog Shiambi, kind of the host, as it were, uh, the the play-by-play guy knowing the body language of the other two that are the the analysts, all of those types of things. And when you can't see each other real time, that doesn't exist. And that is, it's an extremely difficult prospect. And uh, you guys will crush it. And and I know that you guys will, you'll, you'll grow that very quickly, even though it is difficult. Well, I think we will, obviously it's going to take some, some getting used to, you know, the, the, look, everybody is kind of going through spring training right now. The, 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 the players are, are having to make adjustments, you know, with their testing and, and no fans and, and no interaction with your teammates. This is all an adjustment for them. Well, the broadcasters are not in the ballpark. All right. So we're not sitting next to each other. The flow uh, of conversation is not always there. So we're having to make that adjustment, you know, uh, behind our microphones, calling the games, the people putting pen to paper, you know, they're, they're having to do things differently. They're having to get their interviews. They're not in the the clubhouse. They're having to get their interviews via, you know, zoom calls after the game. So everybody has a little something different that, uh, that they have to make an adjustment on. Um, I spent 23 years in pro ball and what do they say? Uh, baseball is a game of adjustments. Well, <laughs> we're all having to make adjustments right now, so it's uh, it, it's universal. I want to jump into that, but but quickly, just in my own context, I've covered probably 10 races since NASCAR came back to competition. 
and I haven't been inside a racetrack yet. And I've done every interview via Zoom. All of those yeah. things that you're discussing have been an adjustment for me too because I'm so accustomed to being able to feel, smell, be yeah. immersed within all of that energy, and it's just not there, especially without fans. That's going to be super weird in stick and ball sports as well. You know, somebody somebody hits a walk-off and ain't no noise. I mean that it's just gonna be it's just gonna be odd. I've said this for for quite some time now. They better pipe in some crowd noise at these baseball games because I can tell you one thing about baseball players: they are lippy, they are chirpy. All right, somebody goes high and tight on one of their hitters, somebody from the opposite dugout is going to say something, and that pitcher is gonna hear it. And if he can pinpoint who it is. Watch out! You might have you a little brouhaha on your hands because <laughs> you know I'm, I, I'm just I'm just telling you you better crank up the the crowd noise. A lot of people aren't a fan of the crowd noise, but I think it's going to save people <laughs> from getting their feelings hurt sometimes. That's fun. You just educated me. That's so good. That's good. That adds some intrigue. I'm in. <laughs> Who? I can't remember, bro. Did you ever charge the mound? No, I never charged the mound. Um, I. <laughs> I got a funny story for you. I was uh, the the one time I actually thought about it. Um, we were playing the Cubs, and my parents were in town. They were sitting in the third row. I had box seats right behind our on deck circle, and they were sitting right behind me. It was my last year, maybe my second to last year, and we were facing the Cubs. And Carlos Zambrano was on the mound, and through the first uh, five innings, four innings, maybe five innings. Uh, we had hit four homers off of them. Ugly had hit two. I had hit one. Somebody else hit another one. So um, he was getting lit up pretty good. Martin Prado was sitting in front of me and just hit a rocket to, to left field for a base hit. And the pitching coach comes out to talk to Zambrano. Well, the home plate umpire walks over to my on-deck circle, and he and it's Tim Timmons. He goes, I don't know what this crazy son of a gun is going to do, but I got a feeling he's going to he's going to throw at you. He goes, "Do not charge, okay? Do not charge. If he misses <laughs> off the plate inside, I'm throwing him out of the game." Cuz he had kind of kind of thrown at some guy, you know, didn't maybe didn't hit anybody, but you know, he let it be known once he was running hot that he was going to hit somebody. So, stir Sure enough, first pitch, he throws me a split about a foot outside for a ball, and the next one cut me in half, all right? And I, I don't know how it missed me. I jackknifed out of the way, uh, and, and he didn't, you know, he didn't throw him out. And so I go to, uh, to Tim, and I go, what's the deal? He goes, I don't know about intent there. It looked like a, you know, like he spiked the slider. He goes, don't charge, though. I go, Tim. My parents are sitting in the third row, and the last thing that I want them to see happen is for me to get my ass kicked right here on the, <laughs> in the middle of this time. So you throw him out, and I'll sit right here. And sure enough, he he threw inside again and and threw him out, and the uh, the, the the dugouts cleared and whatnot, but but no punches were thrown. Let me tell you something. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Oh, Carlos Zambrano's a big old boy, and he got some crazy to go along with it. So uh, I made a I made a pretty wise career decision, I think, at that point. <laughs> oh, I love it. As we chat, opening day is 
some 30 hours away, whatever that is. Yeah. How would preparing for a 60-game season for you have compared to preparing for a 160-game season? What's the difference? Uh, there is none, to be honest with you. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, baseball players are creatures of habit. You know, they they their whole lives revolve around routine and repetition. You know, part of being a, a good baseball player is doing things over and over and over and over until it becomes second nature to you. You could do it with your eyes closed. I could hit a ball off a tee on a line into the back of the cage with my eyes closed to this day. I've done it so many times. Their whole day revolves around their routine. They got routines for day games. They got routines for four o'clock games. They got routines for seven o'clock games. It is crazy. So I would say nothing really changes. You're going to see some differences in how the games are played this year, just for the simple fact that every game means everything you go through a four or five game losing streak in a 60 game sprint your season could be over you know and managers with these expanded rosters going to 30 players are going to have more resources at their fingertips so if a guy is out there pitching and his name is not DeGrom or Scherzer or Kershaw or Verlander and he don't have it in the second inning he's getting yanked because that manager has 14, 15 pitchers on his roster that he can go to, and those managers are going to manage to try and win every single game. And I am excited because I think we're going to see some great baseball coming up. I do too. The COVID-19 protocol for Major League Baseball includes no spitting. Like, no (laughs) spitting. That's like it including no breathing. I mean, baseball – there are certain things that are fabric of the game. I mean, spitting, grabbing your junk, high-fiving, yeah. hugging. It's all part of the fabric. How do you expect the players to adapt to that? I, I can't fathom would probably, spitting. It would probably be the number one reason why I wouldn't play. Let me tell you something. I, I cannot remember one single at bat in my career where I didn't have a lip full of dip, right. a wad of chewing gum, or a mouthful of sunflower seeds, all right? I had to have something in my mouth when I was hitting. You know, that was just the, the, the way – it was part of the uniform, you know? I did not leave the, the, the clubhouse before my first at-bat without my uniform, <laughs> my batting gloves, my glove, my hat, my shoes, and a dip. I, that, was, that was just, you know, so I don't know how these guys are going to be able to do it. Um, it, it's, uh, it's really, like I said, just goes back to, to having to, to make those adjustments, but man, that one, that one will be a tough one for me. What would you do? You, you talked about maybe making the decision not to play. What would that decision have entailed for you if you were still playing? Uh, we'd have definitely had a family huddle here at the, uh, at the Jones compound. I've got a 40 acre farm here in Canton, Georgia. And my 70-year-old parents live 50 yards from me. They, you know, they eat with us three, four times a week over here at the house. I got seven kids at one point or another running through this chaotic place. And, um, yeah, 
there would have had to have been a family huddle. I am sure, you know, my, my dad kind of struggles with his health from, you know, every now and again, my mom, she's, she's 70 years old, healthy as a horse. Um, you know, so I'm not really worried about her, but obviously there would have to be some, some questions. And if dad is susceptible to the coronavirus, well, he's of the age that, uh, that Corona, you know, kind of, kind of, knocks those senior citizens out, you know, and I wouldn't want to subject him to that. Um, obviously I'm going to have to be around a lot of other people and then come back to the, to, to the farm. And, and I just don't want to, to be able to subject them to that. So it would have been a tough decision. I'm sure the, the entire family would have said, go play. Sometimes it's not as simple as that. There's going to be a DH in the NL. So that's different. Whew. And that's kind of weird. What what are your thoughts on that change, and how might that have impacted your career? <laughs> I can tell you how it would have impacted my career. I'd have played a little longer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have been able to uh, to save the body a little bit from going out and playing nine innings of defense. It would have been extremely awesome, you know, say the last two to three years of my career and probably – on into, you know, I retired in 2012. I, I, I left left a bunch of money on the table not to play in 2013. I was under contract. So, yeah, I, I would have loved to have, uh, you know, been a DH there at the end of my career and, and hopefully prolonged it to the point where, you know, maybe I could have scared 500 homers and 3,000 hits because, the you know, the you don't see too many National League guys getting 500 homers and 3,000 hits. They might get one or the other, but they're not getting both. And, you know, that's basically relegated to the American League because of the fact that those American League teams have the DH and get so many more at-bats than the National League guys. You know that Derek Jeter and I roughly played about the same amount of time in the big leagues. He has over 2,000 more at-bats than I do. Wow. 2,000 more at-bats. And that's that's a du- in direct correlation with why his league has the DH and I have the pitcher hitting in front of me a couple times a game. <laughs> I saw a graphic that stated the smart metrics people expect a Yankees-Dodgers World Series. What say you? Uh, Well, that's the smart pick. Um, but you know me, I like to go off script every once in a while. I agree with the Dodgers pick. Uh, the Dodgers, I believe, are the cream of the crop in the National League. Um, and really, I don't know that anybody in the National League can match up with them again. You know, obviously the, the the Nationals did a great job. Strasburg was unconscious last year. Scherzer was great. Corbin, great, you know, and, and they beat the Dodgers. I just think it's the Dodgers' time. I think they would be a smart pick. In the American League, obviously the evil empire that is the New York Yankees, you know, is, is probably the smart pick, but I don't even think they're going to win their division. All right? Wow. And – I have said from day one that the Tampa Bay Rays have a starting rotation that is as good and powerful as anybody 
in baseball, and that includes the Nationals. You're talking about Blake Snell. You're talking about Charlie Morton. You're talking about Tyler Glasnow. They've got more pitching, power pitching, other than those three. So if the Tampa Bay Rays can score some runs for that pitching staff, we all know power pitching wins in the postseason, and the Tampa Bay Rays have a bundle of it. So I am going to go off script and pick the Rays to not only win the East, but to win the American League and beat the Dodgers in the World Series. All right, man. Bones will love that. My best friend since I was three years old is their trainer. So, hell yeah. No kidding. No kidding. All right. couple more. Uh, I've kept you too long already. But I am curious, man. You're one of these dudes that's a baseball purist. You always did it the right way and gave everything you had to the game and all of those things. So, I'm curious how you reacted to the Astros story. That's a tough one for me. Um, Obviously, I don't condone anything um, like that. Uh, Listen, we steal signs all the time. Baseball players, baseball teams, we steal signs all the time. But if you steal signs and you relay them to another player, that's fine. You can – but just know that if you get caught, what the what the ramifications are, you're gonna get drilled. I can promise you. All right, but it's done organically. Okay, it, 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 you're walking that fine line where if you break the law and get caught, you got to pay the price. All right, this was a concerted effort by coaches, front office, and players to set up video and relay it from center field to the dugout and dugout to the players. And it not only, you know, I mean, there had to be money spent to do this. They got to set up cameras. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be a real time feed to the dugout. And then you got to have somebody banging on a trash can to relay it to the players. That ain't cool. You know? And uh, I I never would have believed it. I'm extremely disappointed. Brian McCann is one of my best friends, is still one of my best friends. We've talked about it. I let him know I was extremely disappointed, but it doesn't change anything. And you know as well as I do that uh, clubhouse totem pole, if you will. If you've got a couple of coaches or Hall of Fame players at the top of that totem pole, and they tell you you're going to do something this way and this is what we're doing, man, I got to think 90 to 100% of those people in that clubhouse are going to follow suit just because of who's, you know, telling them what to do. And that was the case with with Cora and Beltron, and everybody just kind of followed. And now we have a cheating scandal, and it's another black eye for the for the sport. I can tell you this right now. The Houston Astros are the one team in Major League Baseball that are ecstatic that there are no fans in the stands for these 60 games. <laughs> sure. What current player would you start the Chipper Jones franchise with? Oh, let's see. Well, I mean, you got to start with Trout. He's, he's probably the best. But if you're going to go, say, a player 25 and younger, Man, I gotta go. I gotta go with my guy here in Atlanta, Ronald Acuna. Um, I saw this kid play in when he was in A ball, 
And he reminded me of Andrew Jones just in the fact that you could walk up to an A-ball field and look around at the players that were on the field, and you didn't have to see him catch a fly ball or, or you know, uh, take a swing. He just he got the face, man. He looks like a ball player. And I said it when I saw him in Double A. I said when this kid makes it to the big leagues within three years, he's going to be a one of the top three or four best players in the game. All you saw him do his second year in the league was damn near go 40-40, which is absurd, you know, and he's only going to get better. He has a blast playing the game. He is a pleasure to be around. He is a pleasure to watch. So uh, that would be my pick for for young guy to start the franchise around. I love it. Uh you mentioned Zambrano a few minutes ago and, and your near-death experience. <laughs> it, it, it made me curious, who's the craziest dude you ever played against or, or experienced? Who was the just complete off-the-rails lunatic that you'd never mess with? Oh, man, let's see. Uh, pro- the one guy I probably played with who's, uh, no pun intended, off his rocker, is John Rocker. Um, he's, uh, I don't know whether he was <laughs> roided to the gills or, or, or what, but uh, yeah, you you didn't want to, if he got a burr up under his saddle, you didn't want to be around him. He was a big old boy. Um, and he had a, uh, he had a, 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 a big button. All right. So if somebody pushed that button, he he would go off the rails in a heartbeat, and 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 I still got to stick with Zambrano as far as the craziest that I ever played against. He hit me another time early on in my career, and Todd Hundley was catching um, for the Cubs, and he hit me with ninety six right in the thigh. And you know, for anybody who ever had a Charlie horse in their thigh, that sucker hurt, man. So he. You know, he hit he hit me in the thigh, and, and it was kind of that delayed five-second thing where you can't really feel it, and then all of a sudden you just drop a big old F-bomb like five seconds later. <laughs> so I been, I was bent over at the plate, and Hunley is, like, standing over me, and I, I go to stand up to walk to first base, and Zambrano is right in my grill, like – what you going to do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> do something, you know, I was like, I'm just going to walk down here. I'm gonna just going to try to walk this off. You know, <laughs> I talked a big game, but I didn't want any, I could promise you that. All right. We'll end on one more former teammate. Uh, I've wondered this since we met, I was disappointed in myself that I didn't ask it in our first go round, man. How much hell did y'all give Fred McGriff about that Tommy Mansky video? <laughs> Um, I don't think there were too many days that went by that 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 Amansky video wasn't brought up in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, the uniform, the goofy hat that he was wearing, this this is the instructional video for you. I mean, come on, Fred. We had – so we obviously being, you know, the the pranksters and characters that we are in a big league clubhouse – we had the, the cardboard cutout of, you know, his his head with the <laughs> with the baby blue hat on and everything. And, bro, yeah, you you got to be careful 
with your endorsements as a baseball player. Because if it's looked down upon or frowned upon or it can be made fun of, boy, that fraternity right there will make you pay in spades. So, yeah, he took a lot of grief for that. You are an American treasure, brother. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, you're an amazing storyteller and, and a great just a great friend, and I appreciate you uh, giving us time again and your insight, and I hope you have the time of your life this summer and into the fall calling these games, and I'll be, uh, I'll be watching. We'll all be watching, and thank you again for your time, bro. I appreciate you too, brother. Hopefully we can, uh, you know, once we get fans back in the stands, I can, I can catch you at a race sometime. love to be able to sit down and watch a race with you just once. Anytime. Be my pleasure, bro. Have an awesome day. All right, buddy. All right, buddy. You too. Man, I appreciate that guy. It's funny. He is a huge Marty McGee fan. And on most Saturday mornings now, I'll get at least one text from him. He'll be listening on his way to get to donuts or head out hunting or whatever he's doing. Is this a budding bromance you have going on? I might be. And I was telling Laney last night, it's funny to me that – so he texts me, like I said there, uh, when we when I brought him on for the interview, he texts me that he shot 75-67 in case I was wondering. And I was sitting there just giggling to myself, and Laney's like, what are you laughing at? And, you know, I got my spatula in my hand. I'm flipping burgers, just giggling, listening to my boy Justin Moore play country music songs. And I said, Chipper Jones just texted me that he shot 75-67 on the golf course today. And Laney is from New Jersey. She's like, all right. I'm like, you don't get it. I'm like, this dude made it to the big leagues when I was a senior in high school. He's like a, he is one of the most revered athletes in the South. And it's very, it's just hard for me to wrap my hands around the fact that he's a buddy now. He's just a buddy now. And it's just, um. I also appreciated that he said, how about he picked the Tampa Bay Rays to win the World Series, dude? Right here on Marty Smith's America. I've seen some people talk about being good, but weren't going to pull the trigger and pick them. But he went out and said, I'm, I'm going to do it. But that's just, that's how Chipper rolls. I mean, when I get off the podcast taping here, I'm going to call Bones and tell him that our our boy Chipper picked them to win it all. Uh, I just think that's, uh, I just think it's so crazy that, that he takes that time and, that we're uh, that we're buddies. Like he takes me about NASCAR. It's just wild to me. I, I'll I'll never get used to that. And appreciate his insight too. And he's so right about the new nuances of broadcasting and how much it's evolving. And I've seen that and and heard Dale Jr. talk about that on his podcast. And I know that that Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon with Fox Sports were in the same building at the same time, but they were away from one another as they were calling NASCAR races. And well, that's something that you have. It's not the same, but you had a good understanding of it before this started because with Marty McGee and doing this podcast, you never see McGee and I never see you when we take the podcast. So you have a good understanding of what it's like to do interviews and things like that and not see your co-host. Yeah, it's not easy, man, and it's going to take those guys a little time, but it doesn't matter. Like, as a consumer, that's that happens when you're having a beer with your buddies. 
Two people start t- trying to tell a story at the same time and say, no, man, you go ahead. It's all good. It doesn't matter. One thing about broadcasting that I've had to learn is not everybody's Reese Davis. Not everybody's Tom Rinaldi. Not everybody's Laura Rutledge or Maria Taylor. Where you're just so, or, or Nicole Briscoe is just freakishly talented at television. Not everybody has that talent. I certainly don't. And so it's okay if you fumble over a word or two. That's normal life. It just so happens that those folks I mentioned are almost quite literally perfect in their everyday speech, too. Not all of us have that gift. And so I can't wait to watch Chipper and and Rick Sutcliffe again, who I've never met him in person. But I've heard so many stories about him from from Peavy and what an unbelievable mentor he was to Peavy. In fact, Jake mentioned Sut's influence on his life on Marty Smith's America back in 2018, I think it was. And so I just think that's an amazing lineup. Kudos to whoever decided that that should be the lineup for for our baseball coverage because, as, as Chip said, Boog is a is just as as good a play-by-play guy as you're going to find. Sut is a seasoned veteran and has so much great knowledge about not only the game but broadcasting the game. And then you're bringing in a first ballot Hall of Famer who has lived the game his entire life since he was seven years old. Well, and also think about it is even if they mess up, we have sports back. You know, we've had some other but of the major sports – and so if they make a mistake or two, man, no one's going to care because at least we have a real baseball back and people can sit back, have a cold one, and just enjoy the game. Yep, I can't wait. Uh, I'm thrilled. Again, right now as Travis and I are speaking, it's around 10 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, July 22nd. And so in a couple days here, uh, we're going to get to see some baseball. Man, and I'm thrilled. We're going to have Braves Mets with uh, with those three on, on the call, and, and I can't wait to. We screwed yeah. up, though. I, I just thought about this. We should have asked Chipper if he's going to allow his son to kind of crash the broadcast at some point since he named him Schaefer, crying out loud. We just uh, really appreciate Chipper. He's such an awesome storyteller. They'll be around three with Chipper Jones. I think we're going to make it an annual family reunion potluck supper on Marty Smith's America for Chipper. So anyway, thank him. Awesome stories, awesome stuff. And um, and we'll do it again. Can't wait to hear him broadcast, and maybe someday he'll take me golfing. Although I might just drink beer and watch him golf if he's hitting 67s. Good Lord. That's not a bad plan, though, to just drink some beers with Chipper. I'd be better at it. By the way, speaking of endorsements, dude, he has a sweet tea moonshine deal. How about that? on top of his beard thing? Yes. That dude's he's hit the mother load, man. He's cornering the market. He sure is. I'm still waiting. Like, you know, I'm good. I got Jack Daniels. I'm good with that. I can handle that. I got a whole dude. I have Speaking, so many... I have a I have a question about I saw you post uh Jack Daniels is selling them in the cans now. I saw you post. I need a review on that cuz I I'm about to buy some myself. Yep. Uh and you should. Okay, so my my friends in Lynchburg, Tennessee, sent me a box full of these pre-mixed, in-a-can, Jack Daniels cocktail drinks. 
There is Jack and Cola, which is Coke. I mean, I, I it tastes like Jack and Coke, and I'm real persnickety about I won't drink Jack and Pepsi. It just doesn't taste the same. Man, it doesn't sound as cool either. Jack and Coke is the greatest taste in the history of man. So I'm particular about my Jack and Coke, and I err way more on the side of, of Jack than I do Coke. But and, and, and as I've said that in the past, so many of you guys who listen to this podcast regularly are like, why in the hell are you ruining your Jack Daniels with Coke? It's just what I like. I like to have some Coke in my Jack is what I like. I don't have Jack in my Coke. I have Coke in my Jack. But anyway, back to the cans. Delicious. They're delicious. They come in these four packs. And so the Jack and Cola... Uh, I drank in one day. <laughs> I drank in one day, and there's 7% alcohol, so I got tuned up pretty good listening to country music out at the pool. And they also sent me uh, Jack Honey and Lemonade. Listen, man, this stuff's like dessert. It's, it's so delicious, it's scary. I want to pour it over vanilla ice cream. It's so good. And... With that, I had to ration that a little more because it's so sweet for me that what I might do is I might pour Jack in that. I might like pour that in a glass. I've already drank them all, but I might pour Jack in a glass and then put that on top of it. That so sounds I good. I like sweet cocktails, like sweet summer refreshing cocktails. That one's for you. Perfect for the boat. Jack Apple with uh, cranberry. I tried that recently, and that's another one that you can't have as many. But man, it is—it's on the spot. So my my Jack Apple cocktail is 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 very simple, and it's delicious. That Jack Apple tastes like an apple Jolly Rancher or something. It's that that's so good. Uber sweet, just delicious apple gum kind of tasting whiskey. And it's awesome for cocktails. And what I make is I take Jack Apple. I put two shots of Jack Apple in a, like, 20-ounce Yeti. And then I put ice on top of that, and I fill it all the way to the top with water. And I just let that sit a minute, and it's perfect. It's, it's again, it's this perfect summer cocktail because it's it has that sweetness to it. And... And it's just delicious. Now, the third, so Jack sent me three different, there was the Jack and Cola, there was the Jack Honey and Lemonade, and then they sent me Jack Seltzer. It's like one of those seltzer drinks, but it's Jack Daniels and Seltzer. It's 97 calories. So for those of you who are watching your figure, it's, and it's delicious. I didn't know how that one would go. I've never been much of a seltzer fan. I, I remember being a kid, and my daddy had worked at this plastics company, and they would have this picnic every year. And there were, like, you know, games everywhere and cornhole and, like, throwing darts and stuff, and all the, the adults would be having beers and cooking out and all that stuff. Kids be running around like wild heathens. And 
they ran out of water or something, and my my dad's buddy had these like soda waters. And Daddy's like, "You want one of these, buddy?" I'm like, "Yeah, it'd be great." And I open it up, thinking it's gonna taste like Sprite, and it was seltzer water. And dude, I about puked. So ever since then, I've had this, I've had this thorn in my rear end about seltzer. Well, I decided to try this Jack and Seltzer. It was phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's so good. It's like, um, it's almost like fizzy Jack. And I love it. I mean, I, I, I actually, it of all the ones that they sent, that one might be my favorite. I don't know, but they're all looks really like, good. Looks like I have some purchases to make. That is what you're yeah. saying. Uh, legitimately, they're delicious, and uh, especially now, it's just a weird time, man, with coronavirus and everybody being home all the time. When it's five o'clock, and you know, I've spent the day doing stuff around the house, or I mean, I, I spent. Six hours on Saturday afternoon, pressure washing my dock. Up in the roof of my dock, we get these spider webs. We live on the lake, and there's just spiders. And one, I said to Laney the other night, one of the coolest parts about it is sitting in the backyard in the evening because it's nature's symphony, man. You're hearing bullfrogs croaking. Bats are flying by. There's all kinds of birds of prey flying around, hawks and whatnot, and all of the crickets are singing, the cicadas. I love it. Like it sounds, it's the beautiful symphony of nature. And I love sitting out on my dock. And we were sitting out there the other night with some friends and a spider dropped right on my buddy's shoulder. So I was like, yeah, that can't happen. That's not very good, uh, not being the best host. So I went out there with my pressure washer uh, the other day and, and pressure washed my entire dock inside the roof I did it in the heat of the day like an idiot. I pressure washed from 12.30 in the afternoon till 6 p.m. And the heat index was like 105 or 106 the whole time. And the water running on top, like pouring on top, dripping on top of me, felt like it was way hotter than a shower. That tells you how hot that roof is. And it looks awesome, and I pressure washed my boat. And I just... uh. You know, you get done with all that stuff. What's the first thing you want to do? Have a cold one. You want to have a cold one. And then you turn on the country music, and one turns into five. And it's just, uh, and, and we live in an amazing neighborhood with amazing neighbors, and everybody's awesome. And the dog's running around, and the kids are in the pool, and it's just fun. But anyway. So speaking of boats, then, this brings us to our Ask Marty segment. Oh, I asked Marty. Here we go. Which comes from at J Brown Buzz City. He says, you're taking the pontoon out, and you can bring one of each. A current singer, a current NASCAR driver, a living wrestler, a college football coach, famous person, underrated drinking ability, and you get to revive one dead person. Who are you bringing? Okay, so full disclosure, we made the decision we're never going to – I'm not going to know the questions before he poses them to me. This one was different. Last week, he asked me a couple that I really struggled to answer right on the spot. And this one was so involved that I, he made the decision to go ahead and show me the tweet, which was smart. Because I could think about it for a few minutes before I answered it. So I do have my answers. All right. So 
My boat is a Sylvan Tritune. And so we're going to take the Sylvan out. And current singer, of course, it's Chief. I'm going to take Eric out. And, uh, and that means we're going to bring some Jack. We're going to have a current race car driver. I'm taking seven-time NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson, who's like a brother to me as well. Uh, living wrestler, we're taking, woo! We're taking Nate as our living wrestler. It didn't say active wrestler. It said living wrestler. So I'm going with Nate. My current college football coach is Barry Odom who is now the defensive coordinator at Arkansas, who, of course, was the head coach at his alma mater, Missouri, for several years. He's now the D.C. at, at Arkansas because Odom's, Odom's my boy, and he loves to drink cold beer and go fishing, and he loves country music. He loves 90s country music, and he's a hell of a hilarious storyteller. So I'm taking Coach Odom out. Famous person with underrated drinking ability. Now, this is and a you- good one. So you gotta you gotta think hard about this. It can't just be that they're an underrated drinker, cause he, what the hell fun is it if somebody just sits over there and doesn't have any fun? They just get drunk. That ain't no fun. I'm gonna go, and this is this is a good one. I'm going with Baker Mayfield. The reason I'm going with Bake is because a all right, Bake is a hell of a personality. Okay, imagine the amazing stories that he has to tell. He could sit there and talk about that Georgia game in the college football playoff for two hours, and I would listen to every detail. He could sit there and tell me OBJ stories. He could sit there and tell me about the Miles Garrett helmet swing. He could sit there, and and meanwhile, we're shotgunning beers. He's proven his world-class ability. He Listen, I don't know a whole lot of guys who bite the beer can open and then shotgun the beer. That's next level. I don't have that kind of stones. So this was a really hard one for me because I got buddies in country music who are every bit, are amazing storytellers who are world-class drinkers. I mean, like, world-class drinkers. But uh, I'm going with Bake because I want to hear the stories that Bake has to tell. Off the record, no cameras, no recording devices, and because uh, I have so many questions I'd like to ask, Bake. Uh, and then the dead person. All right, so so let me go back through my list so far. I got Eric Church is on the boat, Jimmy Johnson's on the boat, Rick Flair's on the boat, Barry Odom and Baker Mayfield. All right, and my mother. All right, my mama always had like all these fantastic dreams about when Stacy, my sister and I were out of the house. Okay. She wanted to see the world and she and my daddy never did. They got married very young as a lot of people in the country do and did, especially back in the day. So when they had me, mama was 25 and my daddy was 28. And and they had already had my sister, Stacy, who is three, almost four years older than me. And so they were really young parents, and Daddy worked his ass off to keep food in our bellies and all that. And Mom raised up Stacy and me. And 
she would talk to us openly about the dreams that she had. She wanted to see the Grand Canyon. She wanted to see the Grand Ole Opry. And now in this stage of my life where I have seen the world and experienced so many unbelievable things that are just beyond my wildest dreams and have become friends with some of the most accomplished, talented individuals in entertainment, across entertainment, she would be tickled as hell about that. And I say now to Laney all the time, especially when I'm drinking and I get emotional about things, how much I would give anything to just sit down and have a drink with my mom and hear about my mom's young life because I still don't know anything about it. I don't know a thing about it because I was 21 when my mother died. And so I feel, I did for a long time, I was very angry about that. I had a lot of anger built up that my mother died at 47 years old. My mother died of breast cancer when she was 47 years old. And when you're 21, 22, that, you know, that sounds old. But when you're 44 years old, I'm like, man, that's three years from now. That's less than that. I mean, I turned 44 in April. So you sit there and you go, man, when my mom, when mama was 44 years old and I was a freshman in college, she never dreamed that she would be gone in a couple of years. I certainly didn't. And so um, I, for a long time, had a lot of just frustration and anger built up at why she could be taken like that. Because she was the godliest, sweetest, most welcoming, kindest, gracious, God-fearing person. Welcomed all kinds. And taught my sister and me that. And so I would absolutely take my mom on that boat so that she could just sit there and have some drinks with us. And she'd be just overwhelmed at the fact that, you know, there were these super famous people on the boat. She'd be so thrilled that some of them are very good friends of mine and others are acquaintances of mine. And just to sit there and cut up with us and be the DD. I mean, uh, the rest of us would be way the hell out of hand. So mom would have to drive that boat, but I would absolutely take my mom. And if I could do one thing, if I could have, if I could do one thing, it would be take my mother to the Grand Ole Opry and watch a show at the Grand Ole Opry with like Reba McIntyre or the Judds or like those ladies, they don't know. I mean, I'm sure they've heard over their careers in all the millions of interviews that they've done, how much they empowered ladies of their era. I saw myself, my sister Stacy and I were talking about this the other day. There's this song that Reba sang back in the day that she cut, released back in the day called, Is There Life Out There? And that song is basically about stay-at-home mom, who raised up her kids while the husband was off making the money and 
she's so grateful that she has the opportunity to do that, but that doesn't mean she doesn't dream about what's out there. She's There's this lyric, she's done what she should, should she do what she missed. She doesn't want to leave. She's just wondering, is there life out there? And I remember distinctly watching my mother sing that song and my sister and I, to this second, when that song comes upon the radio, we're immediately, immediately, immediately think of our mother, Joy Smith, and how we feel a little bit robbed that she didn't get to see what's out there. And so anyway, that's a hell of a long rambling answer about the dead person that I would take. It is my mama. I miss her desperately. And I think about her a lot. And, you know, it's funny. I wrote this in my book, Never Settle. Laney, Laney to this day worries that I've locked away those feelings so deeply. That sorrow, uh, I've locked it away. So, cause I don't talk about it. Y'all on this podcast, Laney will be like, what the hell? Because I've talked, I don't, I just don't talk about it. Um, this question prompted me to talk about it. It's just something I don't, you know, Laney will, Laney will be, will wonder why I chose to do that because she wants me to, she wants me to open up to her and discuss this stuff openly and with great vulnerability. But the vast 99% of the time, it's just something I keep locked away in a compartmentalized place of my soul. That question really opened me up. So thanks so much to Jimmy Brown, Jay Brown in Buzz City, uh, living here in Charlotte with me, I presume. We're, we are Buzz City. Uh, for asking that question, that's a great question. And Travis, thank you for giving it to me before because I guarantee you the answer wouldn't have been as good if I was sitting there fumbling around trying to figure out the answers. So here's, here's mine, and I want you to just what you think of mine. Current singer, I'm going uh, Jimmy Buffett. Current NASCAR driver, Kevin Harvick, because he drives the Bush Light car, so guess what he's going to bring with them? Then I'm going to bring Stone Cold, Mike Leach. Uh, I'm going to bring Chipper as my underrated drinking person. And then I'm going to bring Hank Williams. Good one. Uh, you, if, you want, if, you want to tie your, if you want to tie your pontoon boat up to, uh, next to ours, we can have a good party. I mean, let's go. That would be a very good party. And fortunately, nobody has to choose which boat they're going to be on because we didn't double up. <laughs> no, I, I made sure. I thought, you almost chose Bake. You almost ha- went Bake. I had Baker on my list, and during the Chipper interview, that's when I was like, you know what, I'm bringing Chipper. Yeah. So, dude, you got Kevin Harvick bringing the Bushlight Apple, which just came out. You got Stone Cold bringing whatever beers he – He's, yeah, he's got he's got the Stone Cold IPA. You got Coach Leach, who's a rum aficionado, and you got and, Chipper Jones, who not only has his own beer, but he has his own moonshine. I just got to bring the pontoon. You did pretty well. All you got to do is bring the boat. I uh, that was a fun podcast, man. Um, great question, great guest, amazing, uh, amazing fellowship. And and I just appreciate it. Thank all you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please let us know. Subscribe, rate, and review. We are we are making some traction, guys. I've seen Marty Smith's America in a couple of publications recently. It was brought to my attention. I saw that uh, that our that our listenership is going up during COVID. 
And, and that's in large part probably to Dan and the Levitard and Friends Network, Mike Ryan and, and all those guys. I, I appreciate all the amazing feedback to the Stu Gotts episode. I saw lots of that on Saturday when I was actually on Twitter for Marty and McGee. Uh, so thank all you guys for listening so much. It matters to us. It makes it fun when we know that you guys enjoy it. So please subscribe. Please rate. Please review. Tell all your buddies. And uh, support our sponsors that we mentioned earlier because they help keep this thing free. Appreciate NetSuite uh, being so involved in our podcast. As we mentioned earlier, they're a big, a big supporter of Marty Smith's America. And I'm so grateful for our law enforcement officials all over the country working so hard to keep our communities safe, our firemen who are putting their lives in harm's way to save lives every day, first responders, our doctors and nurses in the hospitals treating so many right now who uh, might have the coronavirus and, and what they see on their daily basis in emergency rooms all over this country. Thanks so much to our sanitation workers to our funeral directors and funeral staff. Uh, thank you guys. And uh, we appreciate our military. So grateful for our military. We live in the greatest nation in the world. And I am so damn proud to be an American. And our military members all across the globe are sacrificing every day to keep us free. So thank you to them. That's Marty Smith's America. We appreciate y'all listening. Have an awesome week.